left off last week with Paul receiving a vision from the Lord. And when he received the vision, he was encouraged to know that he was going to be safe preaching in Corinth for a period of time. Because God said, I have many people in the city. That didn't mean that there were many believers in there at that time. But by the time Paul would be done ministering to Corinth, there would be many believers that were saved because of his teaching and, uh, and because the Lord leading them to the truth. So we're told that Paul remained there another 18 months teaching the word of God among them. Uh, it, can you imagine the material that he must have had? Well, he had the Old Testament. There wasn't any New Testament then at that part, at that point. And so he was teaching them from the Old Testament. And remember, he had left speaking to the Jews in the synagogues and was speaking to Gentiles at this point because the Jews rejected his message. And so um, he was, he, he had a hard time, uh, you know, initially breaking through, but it seemed like the church um, received the message and grew from there. Today's message is titled, Building the Church. The Jews were getting tired of Paul, so they decided to bring him to the Roman ruler of that area. You see, he, he wasn't even trying to talk to the Jews anymore. He was talking to the Gentiles, and he went, uh, they went to grab him, to bring him and try. They did the same thing to Jesus, didn't they? And so now they're doing this with uh, Paul. They are bringing him before, and we're going to pick up now in verse 12, where we read, When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. The first thing I want to point out is that they're liars. For religious rulers, that's not a good thing to be a liar, but they were liars. You see, he wasn't teaching anything that was contrary to the law. Oh, to the Jewish laws that they made up, maybe, but not to the law of God. He wasn't teaching anything in contrary. As a matter of fact, he was teaching from the law and from the prophets and from the Psalms. That's what he was teaching. He was giving them an understanding of what they meant. And today we still have a problem with that. We have a problem where there is teaching that's out there contrary to the truth of the word of God. Because people take scripture out of context 
to fit what they wanted to say. If it offends them, then they go and make something up so that it doesn't offend them anymore. They'll tell us, well, that's just an allegory. And it's a metaphor for this or that. And they'll make something up. You know, you don't have to go far to find churches that do that. They're everywhere. And they are growing in large numbers. Why? Because that's what people want to hear. We, we read in the word that in the last days, people are going to have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to be good with God on their terms, not on his terms. And Paul was just teaching the truth of the word of God. He's brought before this Roman proconsul. And they're saying the Jews are accusing him of breaking the law. And notice they didn't say breaking our law. They they didn't say, they said this fellow uh, persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Okay, so when um, Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. So this judge, this proconsul, stops them right there. Paul was about to give a defense, and he said, hold on. If it had something to do with something he was doing wrong, breaking Roman law, then I would hear what you... He, he was a new proconsul. The Jews probably thought, oh, this is a good time to get in with the new guy. He's going to want to appease us so that, you know, he, he will have us on his side and we can go right in and establish the ground terms of who we are and who he is and he needs to be doing what we want him to do. But he calls him right out. Said if there's a reason that he was doing something wrong, you know, we would be concerned about it. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourself, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. You know what this is? Separation of church and state. Have you heard that term before? Okay. Well, this is clearly what it is. Separation of church and state. Look, I'm the state. I don't care what you do with the church. I don't care about church matters. I'm not going to get... Don't you wish the government said that now? (laughs) It's funny because, you know, they believe in separation of church and state as long as the church stays out of state business. But then they want to enforce their rules, their laws upon the church. You have to agree with anything that a secular 
court, a secular government says, you have to agree with it. Fortunately, we live in a state where our attorney general said, no, the church is essential, first of all, so they're not closing. And, you know, and they get to do what they get to do. Inside their doors, you know what? You have no authority as the state. And so in Arizona, that's how it was. In California, they're out of their minds. Okay? They tried to shut down numerous Calvary Chapel churches uh, there in California. They, they lumped up millions of dollars in fines against the one in San Jose, um, who I know the pastor there, his father is actually one of the founders of Calvary Chapel. And, and here he is leading this church. And he said, no, we're not going to close. We're not going to, you know, listen to what the government tells. This is what we believe. And we're just going to keep doing it. Go ahead, keep lumping on. And they won in court. And so did many of the other churches that decided to stay open. Fortunately, because you get judges that want to do things their way and you don't know what's going to happen. The next thing you know, uh, you know, you can have a, in Canada it's happening where they have pastors being put in prison because they wouldn't listen. So um, it, it's a shame. But here, separation of church and state was established by Gallio there. He said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And it says he drove them from the judgment seat. It drove them. Well, what does that imply? Uh, it implies he had a car, right? No, that, that, isn't, that isn't what it implies. It implies that they were staying there arguing their point. And he had to physically drive them out of the judgment seat to remove them because they wanted to fight with him. And he got them to drive them out of the seat. And that is continuing uh, to this day where people want to argue things in court and they want to fight things in court that they have no validity to fight. Uh, there, there is um, no reason to go in and fight. Now, I believe that there are many reasons why we as the church should go to court to fight things and to, and to argue things, especially when it comes against our freedom of speech, our freedom to share the gospel. Does it matter if the state agrees with what we're saying? We're not forcing them to agree to what we're saying, but you have to let us say it because you're saying all kinds of silly things and we are forced to agree with what you're saying. And so now the state, not this state, but the country is now coming up with laws that are being forced on all the citizens regardless of what you believe. And you're just going to have to adapt to these things. Well, that's another sign of what we see happening in the world today that we're heading over the cliff. 
that this is going downhill quick? Oh, don't, don't fear. There is no reason to fear what's going on. We don't need to fear the government. We don't need to fear what's going on in the world today because we know the end of the story. And so knowing what is, you know, we don't need even Paul Harvey to give us the rest of the story. We have the Bible to give us the rest of the story. And so when we read the Bible and know what's going to happen next, it's not that we are excited about bad things happening, but we're aware of them. We're aware that this is the direction that the world is going, but our hope isn't in, uh, you know, being able to overcome those things. It's in who has overcome them already. He has overcome them. And so we are children of the living God. And so we don't have to have fear. Uh, We don't have to be concerned. And we don't have to go and fight them, uh, you know, tooth and nail to get our way. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't vote. Please vote. When you vote, look for candidates that have a like-minded view. You know what the word of God says and then you listen to the candidate and see if they agree with the word of God and if they do then they are the best candidates to vote for if you listen to the ones that have good stories but they don't have anything to follow up behind it um, then we end up with a government like we have today and it's a very sad state of affairs I'm not getting political. Yeah, I am. Um, my My politics is based on one thing. My God is not in the White House. My God is in heaven. And he is king of all. And so I don't have to be concerned with who's in the White House today. I, I already know who is the one that's really in charge. And he's going to set everything straight. So then the Greeks in verse 17, all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Well, if you remember um, when we talked about this last week, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. Okay? But he got saved. So obviously they didn't want, you know, a Jesus freak being the ruler of the synagogue, you know? And so they push Crispus out and they put Sosthenes in. And so he was taken by the Greeks, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And So it was the Greeks that beat him, not the Romans, because this was a Roman proconsul. It wasn't the Romans, it was the Greeks. So they were probably trying to score some points with Gallio too. Hey, we'll we'll show these guys and we'll take their leader. So Sosthenes was probably the leader of the Jews that came to accuse Paul there before Gallio. 
and they take him outside and they beat him. Well, they didn't even take him outside. They beat him right there before the judgment seat. And, you know, did they get their way? No, it didn't matter. You know, this is, this is some of that pent-up fury that happens inside people when, you know, they see things going on. They expected something to happen, and it didn't happen. And now they're just mad, and they're just looking for someone to take it out on. And Sosthenes happened to be the guy that they took it out on, and um, they beat him. But interestingly enough, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when he had already gone. He wrote and opened his letter to the Corinthian church. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So did Sosthenes get saved? Yes, he got saved. And so this is another example of you never know who the Lord is going to bring into the fold. And sometimes the very person who brings you before the council is the person that the Lord is going to save through whatever it is that you're going through. And so here we see that happen with Sosthenes. We pick up in verse 18 where it says, So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Okay, so Priscilla and Aquila, we uh, heard about last time. So when Paul came into Corinth, he met Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, back then, it was Aquila and Priscilla. And he met them, and they were tent makers, and so he was a tent maker. And he said, oh, let's do business together, you know. And, and so they did. And he stayed with them, did business, but they were also believers. And so they had a ministry to the merchants and to the people that would come and buy their uh, materials. And, and so they had a great relationship. They were in Corinth together. At this point... We know that Timothy and Silas were still back in Berea. They were on their way to catch up with Paul. And so they made their way and they caught up with Paul there in Corinth. And now Paul is leaving Corinth and he's taking um, Priscilla and Aquila with him as he leaves Corinth. And that's an interesting fact about what is going on as Paul travels. He's planting churches. As he planted the churches before he left Timothy and Silas to minister there. Then he moved on to the next place and started planting a church. And then Timothy and Silas caught up and they went there when he moved on to the next place. And then he went on and now he's leaving again. And Timothy and Silas are there. Aquila and Priscilla are leaving with him. And when uh, he came to Ephesus, oh, I'm sorry, back in uh, verse 18, I didn't finish that up. And then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. 
and he had his hair cut off at Chantria, for he had taken a vow. The main reason why I don't take vows is because I'd have to cut off my hair. <laughs> so um, cutting off the hair back then was a Nazarene-type uh, uh, action. They, it's called a Nazarene vow. And they would cut off their hair. Usually it was because... Uh, they were honoring God. They were giving glory to God for something that happened. Now, it could have been that he was giving glory to God because of the ministry. He had been there uh, ministering for 18 months and all the fruit that came out of it. And so he was thankful to God. And so when they do this, they usually shave the head and then um, they go without eating meat and drinking wine for 30 days. And it's just a, a vow that they do showing their appreciation to God. This isn't something that had to do with the church. It's personal. It isn't something that was required by God uh, to show, to prove that he was doing something, you know, righteous. It wasn't anything like that. It was just something that he was practicing. Now, is this something that's part of the Jewish faith? Absolutely. They do these things, but he wasn't doing it for the faith. He wasn't doing it for Judaism. He was doing it for Paul to, in his relationship with God, I'm going to do this. Now, fasting, they fasted in the Old Testament. The, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they fasted on a regular basis. They had a day of fasting. They had a week of fasting sometimes. And, and they did fast, but it was all about the law. We've got to follow these rules to fast and so on. You can fast. Just try not to make fasting have anything to do with the colonoscopy. Don't say, you know, hey, I got to go to the doctor, so I'm going to fast. You know, because we know that's not why you're fasting. You know, when you fast, do it for the Lord, if that's what you're doing it for. If you're doing it for the doctor, then that's different. But fast for the Lord. And that's a good thing to do for us to deprive ourselves and, and don't be like a Pharisee. Don't go out, oh, I'm fasting. Um, oh, it's just miserable. You know, we're supposed to anoint ourselves, wash our face, you know, put the brill cream in. That's, that's what anointing themselves were, putting the oil in their hair, slicking themselves back, you know, and they would look refreshed is what it was. Uh, you know, show yourself as being refreshed and that you're not fasting. Uh, don't go around complaining that you're fasting. You're kind of lo losing the purpose of fasting by doing that. And so by fasting, it's something personal between us and the Lord, you know, and, uh, and it, it's encouraged that we should do that. I believe that it, it's good for us to have that attitude of fasting. It, 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 and when you feel hungry, that's when you go to prayer. So you'll be in prayer a lot while you're fasting. And you're just thanking the Lord that, okay, you're giving me the ability to spend this time fasting with you, you know. And uh, sometimes we think, oh, 
well, you know, you go through all that struggle and trial when you're fasting and all of the, and, and that's how the Lord gets our attention sometimes. It's through trials and struggle. We go through trials, right? And when we go through trials and we call on the name of the Lord, it comforts us, it gives us peace. So this is a trial that you can induce by fasting. And so here Paul is doing this, um, it's not a fast, but it's a vow he's taking. And he shaves his head and um, he's going on some dietary restrictions during that time also. And we don't know all the details because we're not given those details and sometimes the Bible is quiet and silent on things and we don't have details. So let's not inject details in there. Oh, he probably took them because of this. He probably took them because he wanted to have a vow with the Lord. Because that's what we're told. And so, um, so we can trust that that's what's going on here. And so he came to Ephesus and left them there. So who's them? This is, once again, Aquila and Priscilla. He left them at Ephesus, in Ephesus somewhere. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Well, where was he? In Ephesus. Okay, so what he's saying here is he separated himself from Aquila and Priscilla. And probably because of the fact that when Paul went into a synagogue, he had an audience. He was allowed to speak in the synagogue because of who he was. He's a Pharisee. So when he would go to these synagogues, he would be able to get up there and speak to the Jews that were there. Aquila and Priscilla couldn't do that. They didn't have that kind of access but at the same time, there were people, believers that were in Ephesus that he also wanted to minister to. And Aquila and Priscilla were the perfect people to be able to do that. They were probably a wealthy couple. They had this business where they traveled, but they probably had wealth also. And so here they go into this town. They can set up business right away, connecting with the people. And also ministering to the church there. And so Paul wanted to separate himself because he wanted to go to the Jews. And he wanted to be able to minister to the Jews. And it says he did. He reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer, uh, a longer time with them, he did not consent. But took leave of them saying, I must... By all means, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And so here he is, he's ministering to them and they want more. Do you know where Ephesus is? Ephesus is in the area when Paul was traveling on his first missionary journey and they wanted to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, nope, can't go there. And then they went a little further and wanted to go there again. And the Holy Spirit said, nope. And then he had the vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come. And then he went to Macedonia. 
And that's where he began to minister. He wasn't able to go up to Asia. Ephesus was in that area. Now, this isn't the Asia of today. This is the Asia of biblical times. And it's a little different back then. So here he goes into Ephesus and he's preaching there and they're receiving his message. So it was all about timing. God knows when people need to hear the word. When people's hearts are right to hear the word. When Paul went into Corinth, he told them, hey, I have many people here. You're going to stay here a while. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. I have many people here. You know, Paul didn't say, well, you know, how long? He didn't ask. Some people want to know, well, if I'm going to go on this missionary journey, how long do I have to go on this trip? Paul was just going at the pace that God led him. And so here he's back around now and he's in Ephesus preaching and they want to hear what he has to say. They wanted him to stay. And he said, nope, I'm out of here. And he sailed from Ephesus. Who did he leave behind? Aquila and Priscilla. They didn't go with him. So now... Aquila and Priscilla are preaching there in the marketplace. Obviously, some of the Jews that were there in the synagogue were going to be in the marketplace and where Aquila and Priscilla are sharing the same message with the Gentiles or with whoever is in the marketplace. And the Jews will hear that and it will draw them in. Paul didn't, well, he may have. He may have told him, hey, I've got to get out of here, but Aquila and Priscilla are here. You can go talk to them, and they'll tell you more about what's going on. So he left there and sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. That sentence covered a lot of material that was not covered, that did not get covered here. He landed at Caesarea. Caesarea was on the coast there, and um, it was one of those cities that Herod built. And everything that Herod built was big and beautiful. It, it was a, a, a work of art. Whenever a city that he invested in it was just beautiful. It drew the people to that city. And so Caesarea was one of those places that it was this gorgeous metropolitan city on the coast. And many merchants came through there uh, to that area. And so it says he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church. Well, what church? At Caesarea? Eh. No, it says he had gone up. What does that mean, gone up? Well, see, to a Jew, they understand perfectly what gone up means. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. No matter what direction you're heading, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Psalm 120 through 134 is called the Psalms of Ascent, the Songs of Ascent. When we were in Israel, you would go on the bus 
And as you're heading up to Jerusalem, you're singing the songs of ascent from the Psalms from 120 to 134. You're singing them as you go up into Jerusalem. It was really a sweet time. It doesn't take long in a bus. Paul didn't have a bus. So while he was heading up there, he was probably singing the psalm, Psalms of Ascent, the Songs of Ascent. As he was heading up, all the people did. All of them that were going up, and especially for a feast. And they're going up there singing as they head up the mountain and they could sing them over and over again because it took hours to get up to Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem was at the highest point there. And that's how come you always go up to Jerusalem and you go down from Jerusalem no matter where else you go. Whether you're going north, east, south, or west, you're going down. You're always up at the top. So when we see this here, he sees that um, he had gone up, greeted the church. So he's talking about the church in Jerusalem. And then he went down to Antioch. Antioch is due north of Jerusalem. Due north. So it's that he went down. So obviously he's talking about Jerusalem here. He went up to Jerusalem, greeted the church, and then went down. I'm sure that's not what he did. I'm sure he didn't go in and say, hey, church, and then leave. I'm sure that he stayed there for the feast. But we don't hear anything about that. We don't get any details about what Paul did, but we know that he was heading there for the feast. So he obviously went to Jerusalem, for the, but we're not giving any details so all we know is that he went there and then he went to Antioch. So as he heads to Antioch, Antioch would be considered his like home church, his sending church. Remember, that was the church that sent him out on the first missionary journey was Antioch. So that was his sending church. Now he's coming back to his home church. It's been three years since he had left that church. Do you know how much a church changes in three years? A lot. Three years ago, half of you, more than half of you, weren't here, weren't part of this church. And so in three years, churches change a lot, especially there in that area where they were constantly changing and it was a, a place of transition because of all of the merchants that would come through and then head out and stay there for a period of time and then leave. And so it was constantly in a state of transition. And now Paul shows up after three years. You know, he may know, you know, a few of the guys, but it may be like, it's a whole new church. And he gets to share with them everything that took place over the last three years. And that would just be a sweet thing to hear uh, from what uh, Paul would have to say. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia, Phrygia, in order 
strengthening all of the disciples. And so he went, Galatia wasn't a city, it was a county. It had many cities in Galatia for the same way. It was an area, a county that had a bunch of cities in it. So he went there to all of the churches that he had been ministering to before, and he went back to encourage them and strengthen them. And just a sweet picture of how Jesus was using Paul to build his church. It wasn't Paul's church. Paul wasn't, it wasn't, you know, nowadays, you know, the church of St. Paul, you know, and you, you see that on the outside. It's not the church of St. Paul. And it's not the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not that either. Okay, these are the churches that were planted and we are the church. The church is people. It's not a building. We are the church. We gather together and we call ourselves Calvary Chapel of Fountain Hills, but we are the church. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we are the one, the church doesn't do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ by a checklist of what we do. We, as the body of believers, are led by the Holy Spirit to do what God wants us to do. And I think that's a good reason why we see change all the time. We see new people come in, some people leave, and we see change because it's God that is directing people to be used for such a time as this. He, he just, you know, I know what this body of believers needs for today, and I'm going to bring the right people in to gather together with them and, and to minister to them, and they can minister to whoever it is that's coming in. You know, and, and I think of Aquila and Priscilla and the ministry, they were following Paul, but uh, they weren't doing ministry in the church of Paul. They were doing ministry, the church, they, they were servants of Jesus Christ, doing what Jesus wanted them to do. The Holy Spirit is still moving today in and through the life of believers. And so he's the one reaching the world around us. Quite often we think it's what we do, what we are capable of doing. Uh, you know, we're not capable of doing anything without him. But with him we can do all things. And, and so we just need to be on his program and we're going to accomplish his purposes Verse 24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So here's Apollos. He was born in Alexandria. Alexandria is a city in Egypt. It was um, named after Alexander the Great, and it had a, a great resource of libraries there, and it was just a rich cultural area. And that's where this man, Apollos, came from. Apollos was actually a Roman god, 
And uh, so he was named after a Roman god, but he came out of Alexandria and now he came into Ephesus. And as he comes into Ephesus, he's going to bring with him the knowledge that he has of where he came from. He was an eloquent man. He was a Jew and he was mighty in the scriptures. What scriptures was he mighty in? What, what was, what was his, his life verse? It came from the Old Testament. So we know that he was wise in what the Old Testament said. And it says that this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Though he knew only the baptism of John. So he only knew up until the baptism of John. So he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about, you know, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He only knew up until what John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John talked about Jesus, said, hey, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes, but that's where his knowledge ended. But it says that he was knowledgeable in the scriptures, meaning he was like Paul educated in the scriptures and able now to point to the fact that the scriptures spoke of a Messiah. And he was able to now relay that to the people so that they would understand. And so he mainly was speaking to Jews when he would do this. And he spoke in verse 26 so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, okay, so Aquila and Priscilla were in the synagogue, obviously, because that's where he was preaching. But they weren't teaching in the synagogue. They were there because they were observant Jews. And so they heard him and took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's something that we still do today. There are many Christians out there that don't understand fully what the word of God teaches. They understand a lot. They have been through church that teaches them about a relationship maybe with Jesus Christ or maybe not. Maybe they just learned about what Jesus taught but don't understand how to apply it to their own lives. There are many people out there that haven't gone to that next level of giving their life to Christ. They go to church even. They may even go to good churches, but they haven't given their life to Christ. Every one of us needs to do that. A hundred out of a hundred people will die. But if we die without Jesus Christ, then we don't have a lot of hope. But when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, when we believe, and not only believe 
in here, but in here. And when we believe and we receive his Holy Spirit, we receive his gift of salvation, we receive the gift of grace by faith, then we become a new creation in Christ. And so there were a lot of people that understood a little bit, but not enough to change their lives. And now he's there in that place. Now, was he saved? I believe he was. Okay, I believe the Holy Spirit was already moving through him, but now he was going to learn how the Holy Spirit can empower him. And when he heard and learned it more accurately, he desired to cross to Achaia. Where is Achaia? This is the area that Corinth is in. This is, Achaia is the larger area, but Corinth is there in Achaia. And the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, he, he, uh, who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so he got the bigger picture from Aquila and Priscilla. And now he understands and he's sharing with the Jews, you guys missed the boat. Jesus is the Messiah. And now you can have him as your Messiah too, if you would only believe. And it says he refuted vigorously with them, meaning that they weren't just easily accepting what he had to say. Uh, you know, he was a knowledgeable man. He was eloquent and able to speak. And so they probably accepted that part, but they weren't so quick to accept Jesus as being the Messiah. Here's what John taught. When John taught, and this is what he understood, he bore witness and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, preferred before me, for he was before me. John was teaching that, and that's all Apollos knew. Now, Apollos is saying, hold on, I've got the big picture. I am going to tell everyone what, who I am. So, we know that people were associating themselves with Apollos and Paul by Paul's writings to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. We read, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so neither is he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And that's true today. It isn't who is speaking the message. It's the work of God. If it's not God doing the work, if it's the person that is the personality that's drawing people in to an auditorium where 
millions of people are going to come and hear a message, if it's not God drawing them, then when they leave there, they're going to be just as empty as when they came. Now, I'm not saying that Billy Graham wasn't saving people. He was. I know people that were saved by watching him on TV. You know, they didn't have to go forward at a festival. They were watching on TV and that message just pierced their heart and they believed, they received what he had to say. And then there are some that tell you how to live your best life. And there are tens of thousands that come to hear them week after week they're not getting the gospel message. They're not getting to the point of salvation. They're just getting the feel-good message of how, you know, and you know what? I'm critical of pastors that represent themselves or present themselves as teachers of the gospel, but they don't really teach the gospel. They don't teach salvation. Every person needs to know that they need to be saved and that they need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ to be saved. And if you're just getting a a, a message that's watered down, that's not going to do it. So Apollos was obviously having an impact. Paul mentions him, but says, hey, don't look at me. Don't look at Apollos. It's all about Jesus. And so I'm going to reiterate that. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Because if I fall, I want your eyes to be focused on Jesus. I don't ever want anyone to say, well, Pastor Rick did this. I saw him in Safeway and he cut off that old lady to get into the fast food, you know, the, the express lane. You know, obviously he's not saved. And, and, and you know, that's sometimes we're going to do silly things. And uh, that's not something I do. I let, uh, all right, maybe not. <laughs> but the good news is that we know who saves us. And it's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. He's the one who saves. And we're not here to increase our church, it's his church. And he said, I will build my church. And so all we have to do is be his representatives and he will do the hard work. Amen. Amen.